Hello, everyone. I'm AJ McKeon, the producer of the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast. Before we begin this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk about recording quality. Due to the remote nature of these recordings, our audio quality may vary. We are working on a solution and appreciate your understanding. Thank you for listening, and now on to the podcast. Welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, here today with co-founder of WhitneyStrong.org, and it's Whitney Austin. She's joining us on the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. Whitney, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Whitney, you have a powerful story, and for our listeners, uh, you were shot many times the morning of September the 6th, 2018 in Cincinnati, Ohio, as you were entering the revolving door at the Fifth Third Bank headquarters that morning. Tell me what happened on that day. Well, it should have been just a normal work day while I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I often made the drive to Cincinnati for work, and that it's just a normal day. I can remember kissing my kids a couple of times. They asked for an extra kiss and jumping in the car to head up 71 for a full work day. And as I started to descend into Cincinnati, I needed to jump on a conference call. And it happened to be one of those conference calls that I was just very eager to get through. Let's solve this problem. Let's not talk about this thing for the fifth time. And so I was very focused on that conference call. And once I made it into downtown Cincinnati and Fountain Square, I lost connectivity, parking underground, and then jumped right back on the phone, reconnected as I left the parking garage and walked up through the lobby of the hotel right there on uh, Fifth Street across from Fountain Square. So I can remember reconnecting. I can remember walking through the lobby crossing Fifth Street at the crosswalk, making sure that nobody was going to hit me. People move way too fast sometimes on that street. And then really completely stopped paying attention to my surroundings. I don't really remember walking through Fountain Square, coming up to the building. But then I do remember noticing that there was a small hole in the revolving door and also that the glass was shattered, but still intact. And I was still very focused on this call. And I had a brief second where I thought, well, that's, that's kind of weird. You know, that's weird. But not concerning enough to pause and not go into the revolving door. So I pushed. And the moment that I pushed with my right arm into that revolving door is when my body was met with a barrage of bullets. And I remember thinking... This, the, these are bullets, you know, no one is near me with a knife. There is no other explanation for what has just happened to my body. 
these are bullets. And I also remember thinking, this is a mass shooting, because there could be, in my mind, no other explanation for what I had walked into. And so the force was so strong that I immediately collapsed within the quadrant of that revolving door. Do you remember seeing the gunman, Whitney? No, I have absolutely no recollection of seeing anyone, for that matter, until my eyes fixated on the officer who helped save my life. In fact, the moment that I was shot to the moment that police arrived was exactly one minute. So I was one of the last people to walk into this situation. And while that seems like a very short period of time, and obviously I am tremendously lucky that the response came so quickly, it was the longest minute of my life. I remember, you know, first going through problem solving, you know, get up, run out. That's your best chance. But I was too wounded to be able to move. I remember thinking, get someone on Fountain Square to save me. But there at that point was not a soul to be seen. And then, okay, make a call, call 911, try to get someone to come rescue you. And the moment I went to move my left arm to make a call, which didn't work because my arm was so badly injured, it was like a dummy arm, is when I got hit with the second barrage of bullets. And so instead of problem solving, moving into despair and just kind of making amends that this is it, you know, this is the end of my life and just the horrible thoughts that come with that and thinking about the impact it would have on my children without their mother and my husband and everything else and just a very difficult moment. And then on a dime, I look over and I see Officer Al Staples and I just flip a switch I'm not going to die in this moment, and this man is going to save me. And so that put me onto, you know, a path of really getting out of that situation. Whitney, do you remember hearing anything? Nope, not at all. It's interesting. I, I've talked to other survivors from that day and other survivors from mass shootings, and everybody, you know, goes into that adrenaline, adrenaline pumping survival mode, I think, in a different way. But for me, it was no sound, no visuals entirely inward focused. How am I going to get out of this situation? So no, I don't remember sounds. I don't remember faces other than, of course, the officer that I made eye contact with, Al, and continued to you know, communicate with and, and plead for him to save me. Amazing uh, act of heroism on the part of the police department. Absolutely. You know, really everything came together in a multitude of ways. They had recently gone through active shooter training. And so they had that muscle memory of what they needed to do. Also, it was a group of officers that came together that didn't regularly work together. So that training prepared them to be able to function regardless of familiarity. The fact that they were all so close to Fountain Square in the first place and could get there so quickly you know, all those things came together combined with the fact that I walked in at the end. I was protected by that revolving door. I think the fact that the glass was shattered made me, but still intact, made me a difficult target. So it was hard for the shooter to, to see me clearly. So I say all the time, there were thousands of things that went right to allow for me to be shot 12 times and not once for a bullet to hit a major organ or artery and for me to make the tremendous recovery that I have. So I am arguably the most blessed person that ever lived. 
Whitney, I know uh, what you lived through is uh, short of an extraordinary uh, encounter that many people, as you look over what's transpiring in the world and whether it be in police work on the battlefield, victims like yourself. And, you know, I know I've lived through some dark times in my past with some of the things that I've done and seen and been a part of. And at times, uh, it's tough to unsee those things. And so what helped you get through this? For me, it was my family. Everything that I communicated to Al Staples was, I mean, here's the quote. The first thing I said to him, I have a five and a seven-year-old. I am their mother and you have to save me. To the point that he said, there's a five and a seven-year-old that I have to save. I said, no, no, no. (laughs) They're home. They're safe. I am their mother though and you have to save me. And I said it to him and I said it to everybody that I encountered from first responders to hospital staff. I just continued to say that. And in my mind, I thought, oh, if I tell them I'm a mother of young children, they'll fight harder to save my life, which looking back is a ridiculous thought. They all take their job so seriously to save lives. But that was it. I just kept going back to my family and and thinking, I've got to get through this. I have to get home to my family. I need them and they need me. So that was it. You know, just digging deep and thinking of what mattered most. And it was my family. Yeah, that's a powerful message. How has the event changed you, Whitney? I think that I am tremendously more grateful than I ever was. I don't, you know, I don't think that I took life for granted too much. Um, but to experience something like this, it has really just flipped everything around for me. And I have these moments where I see my kids playing together. And I just take a deep breath and take in how beautiful that moment is. Moments with my husband, with my parents, with my sister. I just try to at least every day pause from the madness of life to remember you get to see this. And I also think that there's not much that ruffles my feathers anymore. Things seem very insignificant compared to that moment. And I joke that sometimes that may not be the best for my family members or my friends because other things do (laughs) seem important to them. But, you know, I'm not going to let us get in a disagreement about something trivial because I know what it's like to believe that I'm at the end of my life, you know. So I'm much more grateful and enjoy the beauty of this gift regularly. And then secondly, I have been lucky enough to turn my profession into a life of purpose. And so I am full-time the executive director and co-founder of Whitney Strong, an organization that I established with my husband to help realize fewer lives impacted by gun violence and doing it by championing and executing on responsible gun ownership. And I credit that with a lot of my mental wellness. I know every day. I can look myself in the mirror and say, I have done everything that I can do to help prevent others from experiencing what I experienced. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about OnTech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial That is why we created the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. We are regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights, 
lessons learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.ai slash center. That's ontic.ai slash center. What makes Whitney Strong different? No, I can remember being in the hospital that first week after the shooting and physically not being able to do much. I mean, I couldn't even text, right? <laughs> so I couldn't text, I couldn't email, but in my mind, I was going to start this organization. But part of it was thinking through, how are we going to approach this issue differently? I live in Kentucky. I've worked in Ohio for more than a decade. And even at the national level, if you think about those three fronts, we've seen zero progress in terms of reducing gun violence, uh, especially at the legislative level. So how can we do this differently? Because it's just not working. It's been, at that point, almost eight years since Sandy Hook occurred, which was, for me, the most traumatic of all the mass shootings because it involved little kids. And I just sat there thinking, I cannot be a part of zero progress. So how can we move this in an incremental way? And so by nature, I'm very centrist-minded when it comes to politics. Uh, we also, my husband and I, happen to be gun owners. And while we don't want anybody to have their guns taken away across the board, we certainly believe that there are many things we can do as a country to make us more safe. And that's not just to prevent mass violence. It's also to help with street violence and domestic violence and suicide, where 60% of gun deaths are attributed to. So we thought we have to be inclusive. We have to figure out how to pull everyone into this conversation because that is the only way to make progress. And if we can move from zero to 30 or 40, that's better than sitting at 0% for the next eight years. So that was the idea. And then we spent some time thinking through a mission statement and guiding principles, but everything still ties back to that principle of being inclusive and championing responsible gun ownership, because that's the way to move this forward. What are you most proud of? It's hard. You know, she, Whitney Strong is like my third child. So I'm proud of so many things. Um, it's hard to narrow it down to one. I'd say personally, I'm most proud of the fact that I have really expanded my circle. When you're working on reducing gun violence, you come across many gun violence survivors, and most of them were not shot as part of a mass violence incident. And so while their experience that led them to being shot is entirely different from mine, being shot is a very similar experience, and it has bonded me to people that our just walk of life is very different than mine. And I have been so blessed by those friendships and those experiences and helping to open my mind as to how we can truly make a difference, reducing gun violence of all kinds. So I'd say one is the relationships. And then second, I'd say is the success that we've been able to have in terms of legislation at a bipartisan level. So in the state of Kentucky, we have been pursuing legislation that helps with really preventing what happened to me and then also preventing suicide. 
It's a piece of legislation that would temporarily separate someone who is either threatening to hurt themselves or others, and then also temporarily separating them from their firearm, but also getting them the help that they need to be able to get better and to get back to functioning and then be reunited with their firearm. And what I'm so excited about that is that this piece of legislation is tied to a bipartisan coalition of Kentucky state senators. So we have a rural Republican, an urban Republican, and an urban Democrat. And that hasn't happened in the state of Kentucky, not ever. And then in the state of Ohio, working closely with Governor DeWine and local mayors, for example, um, Democrat Mayor Nan Whaley out of Dayton, uh, and introducing Strong Ohio, which is a 17-point plan for reducing gun violence in the state of Ohio. Now, both of these pieces of legislation still need to be passed, but to present a unified front in a bipartisan way is something that has to happen to make progress on this issue, and in my mind, quite frankly, every issue that this country faces. So I am so proud to be part of representing, look, we can work together. I think that's exactly what our country needs right now. Whitney, if people want to learn more about your organization, where can they go? If you want to learn more about us, you can follow along on social media. Our handle is at WitStrongOrg. And then, of course, you can also find lots of information about our strategic priorities and the work that we do at our website, which is WhitneyStrong.org. Whitney, before I let you go, is there anything you would like to say that I haven't asked you today? I am really excited about a virtual event that's coming up for Whitney Strong that anybody can participate in across the country. It's Friday, September 25th at 7 p.m. You can find out more information on our website, but what it will do is pull together gun violence survivors and their stories will be told through art. So, for example, my story will be told by an American cellist and composer, and then a choreographer dancer, which is just going to take it to a level unlike before. So we'll use rap with other survivors. We will use visual art, gospel. It's just going to be an amazing night. So I would love for anybody interested to go to WhitneyStrong.org and figure out how to um, attend. And that's September the 25th, correct? Yes. Thank you for sharing your story with us today, Whitney. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai/center. Again, that's ontic.ai/center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novus. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.